Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for each person that's here. We ask you to bless and anoint this time and, and lead us in your in your study. If anybody's on their way, we ask you to bring them quickly. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Proverbs 15. A soft answer turneth away wrath, but a grievous stir word stir up anger. The tongue of the wise uses knowledge aright, but the mouth of fools pours out foolishness. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. A wholesome tongue is a tree of life, but the perverseness therein is a breach of the, in the spirit. A fool despises father's instructions, but he that regardeth reproof is prudent. Yep. All right. A soft answer turns away wrath, but grievous words stir up anger. Uh, basically, this is the law of reciprocation. If you are angry at somebody, they usually give you back angry words. If you are quiet and soft, they usually get back a quiet and soft answer. And this is something we learn. You know, if you deal with the public at all, you learn to you know be don't be argumentative with them. If you get, if you're argumentative with people, they tend to get defensive and. They take a posture of argument with you. I had a training program at Unical. Always say you're sorry. Say sorry a lot when they're motor blew up. You know, when they need a motor, you know, I'm so sorry. It's going to cost you $2,500 for a motor, you know, but you, know, you have to be really genuinely sorry. But the key is to be genuinely sorry, yeah. Genuinely <laughs> sorry, because you are, you know, you're some ladies. But, So soft answers are, you know, turn away anger. If you want, if you want to diffuse a situation, you're, you 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 speak kind words, and it almost always works. I mean, there's always that handful of people out there that they're just going to be mean and angry no matter what you do. But for the most part, if you give a soft answer, it it, it kind of makes them calm down. But if you give grievous or or hurtful words, they're going to respond just that way. They're going to get angry. They're going to get angrier. And if you want to start trouble, start start speaking hurt, hurtful words. I don't know why anybody would want to start trouble, but I've met people that like that. Uh, the tongue of the wise uses knowledge aright, but the mouth of the fools pours out foolishness. And we've all been there. We've seen people who are wise. What they say is something you want to learn, listen to, and it's worth listening to. And we also know people who just pour out a bunch of foolishness. You know, they're speaking, and there's just no value in what they say. They have a multitude of words, and it might even be some truth in it. There might even be some real things, but they just speak and and overspeak, or or just speak a bunch of stuff that's just not worth listening to. And we want to be careful that we're not that the fool. We want to be able to sit back and just be quiet and listen and speak and speak the right words. In the, in the abundance of words, we will sin usually. And so it's very important to listen and be quiet, speak of truth, listen to God and, and speak what he wants us to speak. 
The eyes of the Lord are in every place beholding good and evil. And this is something, this is just talking about the omnipresence of God. He is everywhere. He's going to see when we're doing good. He's going to see when we're doing evil. And he sees all the evil that's coming our way. And, and we've said this before, nothing surprises God. So we, can't, we don't really need to get all upset because if God didn't want it to come our way, it wouldn't have come. He wants to teach us something when something comes our way. And this is something for us to really grab hold of is just that God is omnipresent. Nothing surprises him. And just think, if we were just to be aware of this, every time we want to get upset about something going on, in the back of our minds, this idea of how could God let this happen or how could, how, you know, how could this happen? You know, God's supposed to be watching out for me. God is wanting something to happen in our life. That was part of Job's problem when he was being tested. His attitude was that the righteous do not suffer evil. And when he suffered evil things happening to him, it really bugged him because this was not matching his theology. And a lot of times God will do things to us to test our, theo our theology, what we believe about God's word. And whether it's true or not is irrelevant. Uh, what we believe is what he's going to test. And if it's true, then it should hold up. If it's false, he's showing us that it's false. For Job, he was being showed the righteous will suffer, the righteous... The righteous can have things go wrong for them. It's the future that God's promising that everything will be good for. And many times he wants us, to, when he lets bad things happen to us, he wants to see if we're going to turn to him and embrace him, or are we going to run from him? And those are our two options. When bad things happen, we can turn to God and, and run toward him, or we can run away from him. Lots of people turn and run away from God, saying, oh, I don't want it, I, you know, I went to God and all these bad things happened, I don't want to do anything for God. And God's saying, I want you to turn and run to me. And he's just going to stay there, he's going to stay there and let us decide what to do. And the key is, how are we going to react? And we need to see everything that happens to us is spiritual. Too many Christians try to, you know, make this distinction. Here's my spiritual life. Here's my, here's my other life. <laughs> Whatever. Maybe not sinful life, but this is my other life, God. You stay over here in the spiritual life. When I go to work, I'm in my other life, God. You just stay out of it. When I'm, you know, playing my sports, God, you stay out of it. This is my sports life. And I'll tell you right up front, I have a hard time playing sports because I'm highly competitive. And I get angry if things don't go right. <laughs> when I play sports. It's a downfall for me. You know, I, I don't like bad calls from referees. I don't like other members on the team that don't pull their weight. I like simple sports. I do like things like tennis and things where if, I, if it goes wrong, I'm the one to blame and it's not, not some other player. You know, when, when, a, when a player throws a ball and it goes sailing over your head, that bothers me in, in, in softball or something. You know, it's, you know like, how, can't, you, can't you throw? And I'm one to talk because I can't hit somebody else. I, I throw a long ways, but I can't hit anybody. So that's why I always played outfield. I could throw from the outfield, outfield to the infield with no problem, just as long as I knew it would be between the bases. <laughs> and that's all I cared about. Uh, but I do get, I get angry when I play sports because I just am so hyper-competitive. And... 
Most, most people don't like playing board games with me or cards with me because I am intensely competitive and I do not play for fun. I've been, it is fun for me to win, but I play to win. And it's just the way I am. I'm competitive and I know it. And my poor stepmom had myself, my dad, and my brother all competitive and all she wanted to do was play a nice, fun family game and we're out to kill each other in, the, in, the, in these games. And she's oh. like, I just want to have fun. Oh, my goodness. And so we're, and we're going, we are having fun. We're, as, long as, as long as we win, we're having fun. So, no, we had a great time. I mean, it was just we played competitive. We played, we play, you know, for blood, basically. We're going to win. Um, <coughs> So, a wholesome tongue is a tree of life, but the perverseness therein is a breach in the spirit. And this is, there again, is this, we're seeing a lot of repetition here about the power of the tongue. And we all know people that when we speak to them, we feel good after we're done speaking to them. They've, they've, they've edified, they've built up, they've, they've, we feel alive. We don't feel torn down. And even sometimes, if you're really good at this, speaking with you know with a wholesome tongue you can actually even correct and people still can feel good about being corrected maybe they're not happy about being corrected but at least they're not torn down and I've known people that could rip you to shreds with their tongue uh, they didn't physically get you but man you felt just you know you know this is breadth of the uh, uh, breadth breach of the spirit you were torn down you felt about three inches tall and they didn't touch you but you felt totally beat up and hurt because of the things they said and how they said it and we all know people of that nature and you know and we know and sometimes you see those people coming and if you have a chance here you go the other way as quick as possible so you don't have to deal with them and yet with the people with the wholesome tongue it's like you'll go out of your way to have an experience with them because it just is a pleasant experience. You feel good. You feel God's spirit come across. The fool despises father's instruction or correction and in, in discipline, but he that regardeth reproof is prudent. And this is a good thing because I've learned a long time ago. I like to learn from what others can teach me rather than learning the hard way. I know certain people, they've got to learn the hard way. They're going to, you can tell them all day how to do something the right way. And they're going to go, well, until I see that it doesn't work my way, I'm not going to, I'm not going to listen. I've got, to, I've got to go through the school of hard knocks and get beat up a bit. And then maybe I'll think about trying to do something different. Rather than, you know, they're despising instruction. They're despising even their, their, the way they learn the hard way. And then there's others that they learn the easy way. They listen to reproof and, and, they're, and they grow from that. Uh, and they become prudent. I love that word, prudent. It, you know, they, they, and I like to learn the, the easy way. I like to watch what others' mistakes are and not commit the same mistake. So, any comments before we move on? Verse six. In the house of the righteous is much treasure but in the revenues of the wicked is trouble. The lips of the wise disperse knowledge, but the heart of the foolish doth not so. 
The sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but the prayer of the upright is his delight. The way of the wicked is an abomination unto the Lord, but he loves him that followeth after righteousness. Correction is grievous unto him that forsakes the way, and he that hateth reproof shall die. Verse 6. The house of the righteous is much treasure. And this word treasure is, uh, is it literally strong. They have a strong house. The righteous have a strong house. Maybe not. Treasure is probably not the best one here because they're talking about the strength of the house itself. Not, you know, that's a peaceful place to be. It's a good place. But he says the heart, but in the revenues of the wicked is trouble. Everything that the wicked gets, what they earn is trouble. And we've either been there ourselves or, or we know people that are that way. It just seems like everything they do doesn't work. It causes trouble because they are, they are wicked. They're trying, to, they're trying to use people. They're trying to manipulate people. They're trying to you know, cheat people out of it. And we see businesses that are that way. Uh, I've got a business that I won't deal with anymore because while they said that what they did was legal, it was unethical in my opinion because they're you know, saying that their salespeople were the ones that were responsible for telling me the lies that were told. I go, well, I'm sorry, but they were using your name. They may not be right. your company, but they used your name. They're under you. So as far as I'm concerned, you may be true that it legally you're not accountable for what they said, but they ruined your reputation. And it's pretty critical, and I will not deal with that company. I will never, ever deal with that company again in my life uh, because they are, to me, an unethical company. And at the end, when they were trying to keep me with their service, I'm going, uh-uh. Read back through my history. You never solved my problems that I had from the very beginning, and you said it, was the, it wasn't your problem. I want nothing to do with you. And when they, call, when they dare to call me anymore, they shouldn't, shouldn't even call me anymore because I, I keep telling them to go back to their records and seeing that I don't want to deal with them because they, they brought trouble. You know, they brought things that weren't there. But the house of the righteous, yeah. going to somebody's house that is righteous, you know, it's just, there's a peace there. And uh, I've done lots of different visitations over the years to different people. And you can tell the difference when you walk into a house, whether it's a house of righteousness or a house where wickedness, you know, I'm not talking about smoking and, and drugging and all that, just a difference between how they relate to God. A peaceful calmness over a house or a heavy spirit over the house. And so this is something that help, that you see. And the more you walk with God, the more drastically you see it. And, the, and you're probably seeing that. As you walk closer to God, the more you're starting to see things as sin that you probably overlooked in the past. And all of a sudden, it's like, yeah, this isn't, I've never had any problem with this. And I've been talking a lot about that with my relationship with TV anymore. It's just, and we're watching shows that I grew up watching and didn't think twice about. And even when I was a Christian, didn't think twice about. Now I'm watching them and saying, Wow, how could I have ever thought that this was a good show? Yeah, like I was saying before, I can't, sometimes I can't turn it fast. <laughs> and I, and I, they're still talking, I'm trying to get, <laughs> there's some bad stuff. Mm -hmm. Yep. Alternating modulation is AM, frequency modulation is free FM, but what does TV mean? I forgot. 
Television. Farsight. Television. Farsight. The lips of the wise disperse knowledge, but the heart of the foolish does not. This is, this is again, one of those things. The lips of the wise disperse or scatter. It's almost like it's just throwing out the seed that Jesus was talking about with the gospel. Just throwing it out. And it's interesting sometimes when, when, a wise, when somebody who is wise and knowledgeable speaks, people get built up and... and gain knowledge just by being around them and that person usually isn't even aware that they are teaching and that's happened to me many times where somebody says wow I just learned more in five minutes than you know for years in this in, in from this other career or person or and it's not that I'm even teaching at that but I am a teacher so God allows me to teach and I and I like doing that and I like when I'm around people who do that you learn something just by being around them something good not evil, but you learn good. And they're fun to be around, and they just speak. They speak because that is what they are. They're wise, they're understanding, they're following God, they're listening to God. They're not trying to tear people down. One of the things I can't stand is when people are tearing, tearing people down because I don't want to have that. But the heart of the foolish does not. They don't, they don't pass out knowledge. They're tearing, tearing down, they're, they're bitter, they're angry, they're coarse jesting and, and all that stuff that goes on. Since it's my own house, I had a law now. No bitter, no talking about other people. No talking about dead people, especially. Yeah. There's been a lot of death that we had experienced in a, living in a ghost town. <laughs> what I mean is like, what we expect, but I said, let's just not talk about dead people. I'm going to be asleep right now. I don't want to hear about dead people. I don't want to hear about uh, bitterness or any uh, anxiety, like you said, mm -hmm. be wise. I want to hear wise things, you know. And I just start talking about trees and, and, and talking about uh, plants and how the, the shittim wood is was actually a part of the cat claw. Mm -hmm. it, it's, it's it comes off the line of the cat claw and it goes all the way to South America, just like a strip. And it, you should know about the Middle East, but maybe in the Middle East too of where they got the wood to build the tabernacle. And so I'm using what we've been learning here, and I've been expanding on it. You're a great teacher, right? But you're teaching us a lot, and it's really cool. It's soothing, too. Like yeah, you said, you soothing. don't want to hear all the other... Yeah, I don't want to hear about Joe Blow died, you know, doing something stupid. I just want to sleep, rest, and peace, and, and not talk about other people. Gossip, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Talking about dead people doesn't matter at all, and you know, even saying bad things about good people isn't well, worth I mean, anything gossip. either. So yeah, it's, it it's just yeah, gossip is bad news. And we as Christians should really desire to hear just the godly and good stuff about people. I mean, it, there isn't, there is no need to find the, the negative about people. And and as I've said many times, even even if we hear something and we don't believe it, it still affects us. Yeah. Because it plants a seed in the back of our mind, a, a seed of doubt. And then, especially as rumors go around in a small town like this, and, and, a, and something wrong is said, and it's said multiple times, all of a sudden we start thinking, you know, I've heard it from five different people. Well, actually, I heard 
one person's words out of five people's mouth. Well, you're new here, but Amy knows we make up our own rumors. Yeah, we make them up, and then they go around, and we get we hear this story. How does it sound when it gets back around? Like telephone. Playing telephone in town, huh? We haven't done that in a long time, but you know. Let's not do that anymore. That's we don't do that. I was I was really seriously worried about Kelly, and I was going to wake Amy up at ten last Wednesday night about her brother. She, I was really concerned for you and with you and everything. And, and I said, no, I better wait till, you know, 10 in the morning or something. And then I said, well, wait till class, because you said you'd be here. And now I found out that he was MIA until the next day. Until yesterday, two o'clock. And he was in good hands with his friends. And everything was good. Hopefully good hands with his friends. Hopefully we're, good hands. We're, we're, we're going to assume that it was good hands and not well, bad hands, so. Well, we're praying for him anyway, so yeah. good hands. But you know, this is what we want to be careful of because it is so easy for our flesh to want to hear the negative about people. And we just need to be able to just stop people and say, no, I don't need to hear that. I don't want to hear that. It's not worth hearing that because there is no value in the negative about people. There really isn't. Uh, we just want to pray for them. We want to lift them up before God and let God deal with where they're at. And. And like I said, you know, the worst thing you can do is, even if you don't believe the bad that you've heard, it still plants a seed of doubt. And by the time you've heard it three or four times, now all of a sudden it starts, it starts being watered and blooming, and wow, maybe that person isn't as good as I thought they were, or maybe they are bad, or, or whatever it might be. And we can see a church being, can get destroyed by that kind of mentality, where people start talking about one another and, and poisoning the thoughts of the, of the people about about the individuals in the church and the next thing you know the whole church is at each other's throat you now maybe not literally but they're, they're all being ripped apart just because people started listening to negative things oh, being no, said about others. Oh that person's come to the church today. <laughs> oh no you know you, just, you, know, you know you get to that. Is that yeah. what you mean? Yeah. Yeah. You don't want to see them you, you, you're, when they are there you there's a separation. You and, love them but you oh, but you, we have to be careful of that because that's not what we want to do. We need to be welcoming of them. We need to show God's love to them. And part of that is to learn forgiveness. If there is a valid reason that you have for not liking that person, then you need to practice the forgiveness and the love of Christ toward that person. I'm sure Jesus would have had the same thing. If he'd allowed it to boil up, he would not have wanted to see the Pharisees and the scribes. There are these troublemakers again. They're, every time they're around, they try to cause trouble. But he still loved them. Even though he got harsh on them at times, he still <coughs> showed love to them. And it's very important for us to be able to do that because love wins through in the long run. If you want to win somebody, you just start loving them. You pray for them. You speak kind, kind things about them. And before long, they will start softening their position with you and they'll turn around and come around and I've seen more people get saved just because people have expressed love. It doesn't mean that you say everything they do is good and it doesn't mean that, that you accept everything they do, but you show them love and you show loving correction when, you, when the opportunities are, are around. If they're in your, you know, when I'm in their house, I'm not going to correct them about anything, but if they're in my car, my house, then they will do things in a righteous way. They will not speak against others. They will not, you know, they will not smoke. There are all these different things, rules I have. If I'm in their house, I can't control what they're doing. If they want to speak against people, then I will leave. Yeah. 
but I'm not going to correct them in, in their lifestyle because that is their territory, their place. You can make gentle uh, innuendo of, that, you know, smoking bad for them, or, you know, just... If I'm at their house, I'm not even going to do that much. Not even at their house. Well, I, so. I, because I, that's their house. Not even in their house, yeah. I notice when someone, say, per se, is gossiping, if I'm silent on my end, they sure puts out the fire mm -hmm. because I'm not participating in that conversation. And uh, so I don't know whether I should confront a person when they're doing that or just do as I'm doing and not say nothing. But I notice it just stops. My answer has always been I do not want to hear this or even better. If I know that they're wanting to talk about somebody, it's let's go to that person, let's go together to that person, and, and you can say all that you want in front of them so they can defend themselves. Yeah. Never had anybody take me up on it, and very quickly I get I get tossed out of the gossip circles. Yeah. The third one I give you credit for is between them and God. Yes. I love it when, you, yeah. when, when I'm, I'm all confused and you say it's between them and God. I go, good, it's not between me and them and God, it's between them and God, and it leaves us out of it. Yes. And I, I love that. So that. That's just been a great teaching on that, uh, between them and God. Yeah, and that's... What they do in the house. Well, even, even outside, I mean, the only time I'm really going to get upset with somebody is if they're doing something that's going to hurt my family, or they're doing something that's going to hurt the church. Because I'm the pastor of this church, I care that if they're doing something that's going to hurt the church, but they're going to hurt me, it doesn't matter to me because that's God will deal with them on that. But if they're doing something where they're trying to take people out of the church into sin, then I'm going to get self-righteously righteously angry and, and deal with it because that is a big deal. If you're trying to hurt my kids, it's going to be a big deal because they're my kids and I'm responsible as their father. But much more beyond that, if it's not hurting anybody that is on my side, that's between them and God. And people will go, well, what if they're hurting, you know, hurting you know, somebody else in their family? And go, that's between them and their family. Because uh, I have enough trouble keeping my family together. I'm not going to try to fight for every family that can possibly be hurt because a lot of them are being hurt because they are doing things that allow themselves to be hurt. Uh, and so It's like the woman who always gets involved with a, an abusive man. And they leave that man because he's abusive and go right into another relationship that's just as abusive. And at that point, it's like, sorry, I, I can't. I can advise you if you ask me, but I'm, but I'm not going to try to keep you from doing what you're going to do until you've had enough to be able to change the way you're living. And I've seen it over and over and over again. And people do the same thing. There's an old joke in the, in, for pastors that a pastor will have a problem in his church, so he'll leave that church, and he'll have the same problem in the next church, so he leaves that church, he goes to another church, has the same problem, and he keeps saying, the churches I'm picking are terrible. Well, no, you are obviously the problem because you are you're having the same problem everywhere you go. You have the problem, not the church. Fix, fix what you're doing that's causing the problem. And we are just humans tend to do that. We keep doing the same things over and over, and not realizing that we are the one that's causing our own problems. And I don't know why we do that. And part of it is we don't like to look at our life and see what I am doing wrong. And that's why we have to look at our life and say, God, what is it that I need to change? And putting God in the middle of it is the way to get out of all those things. Because God will lead people to the right individuals, to the right 
things to do because we always have blind spots in our life. Uh, God, I just don't understand why everybody is so mean to me, you know, as you're being mean to everybody that you come across. And I've had people actually say to that, why, why, am, why are people mean at me? Well, because you are very mean to them to start with. Well, I don't think so. I go, well, you do this, this, and this. Uh, well, may, well, maybe, and then they go off and I still for, they forget right away what was said. Uh, but we look at this and say, why am I not growing for Christ? We need to put God in the center of our life. And that's why I love, the, I love my verse, the favorite, my favorite verse, Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live because he puts my flesh to death. And because he puts my flesh to death, I grow because he is pushed out as my, as my flesh is crucified. And it's wonderful. And, I, and it, to me, I've over, said it over and over again, walking with God is really easy if I let him crucify me. Because everything that comes out is him coming out of me at that point. And I don't have to struggle. I don't have to fight. I don't have to work real hard to be a Christian. And I, I keep meeting all, all these different people I know that they're always you know, struggling to be a good Christian. Got to fight real hard to do it. I've got to work real hard to do it. And I keep telling them, just let God <laughs> surrender to God and be crucified. And it makes life easy as a Christian. And we struggle. I struggle just as much as everybody else to let God crucify me because nobody wants to have their flesh crucified. It hurts. Crucifixion hurts. Uh, but when we get crucified, it's wonderful because he lives through us. The result is good. The pain of, of getting there is not, not good. But the more we surrender to it, the easier it is because it's not the painful fighting every inch of the inch of the way. Verse 8, the sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but the prayer of the upright is his delight. And this is kind of an interesting thing, because in David's day, Solomon's day, sacrifice was everything. You went to the temple and you made your sacrifice. That was your offering. That was your, your, your big step. What a process. <laughs> I just read more of that. Well, there's, there's, there's a process to some of that. Yeah. But the idea of the sacrifice, the best thing that they could do of the wicked is an abomination to God. God really doesn't want anything from the wicked because they're not his. They're not his child. He, they could give him a billion dollars and, you know, for our, our way of thinking, and God's going to say, so what? And we've talked about this. God owns everything. He doesn't need anything from us. He doesn't need anything from the lost world. So if they're willing to give him a bunch of money, a bunch of property, it doesn't mean anything to God. God's looking at it and saying, you're not one of my children. It's just an abomination. And he says, but the prayer of the upright is a delight, is his delight. He just wants to hear from us. No, it doesn't mean he doesn't want to sacrifice from us. It, it's just in comparison, the, the, the distinction. He goes, the greatest thing that the lost world can do is nothing to him, but the simplest prayer from his, from his children is his delight. The teaching from Wednesday night on Exodus was that Moses said to tell the people to stop bringing stop giving. gold no. stuff. Stop giving. We've we got enough gold and stuff uh -huh. to, to do the job. And they kept bringing more and more. 
and you said only the second time was when they built the temple. When they built the temple. They, nowadays, <coughs> there's never enough money, you know. You, but anyway, that's my point. I want to say that I do pay attention to you. <laughs> that, that was really a good point you made, or a good uh, Bible. It was right on. Uh, to a point where you have so much money, the church, you know, doesn't need it. Yeah. Yeah. Very rarely does that ever happen. But most of that is because, unfortunately, most Christians do not give even the tithe, much less an offering. Just like the good movies you see with the Christian base. There's always the moral where, uh, you know, you've done enough, you've done so much, you know, that you can take it easy, relax, take a day off, rest, do that Sabbath day of rest. Be restful. Be restful, and I'm trying to practice that. Right. And Every day, but I practice, <laughs> <laughs> practice that once a week, you know, to try and keep busy, but rest, yeah. take a break. I think that's important. Not out uh, doing yard work and other mm -hmm. I told she's the bra uh, brains and I'm the brawn. He she goes, you don't have much brawn. <laughs> you know, she insults me, but that's you've heard that song. You, you, you got, I got the brains. Sure, she's got the brains. I got the brawn. Let's get together or something. Yeah. <laughs> but that's the way it is. Man's the, the strong man, and the woman's supposed to be guiding him or training or. The well, no, she's the helper, helper for what the help me. They're, they're a com the, in a, in a oh, good so marriage. They're complementary to each other because if they were the same, it would not they would not be a match. Oh yeah. Uh, so, and God does a good job. I mean, most successful marriages, if you really look at them, you have very opposites. You have one who's always on time, one who's late, one who's clean, one who's messy, one who can wants to spend money, one who doesn't want to spend money, one who's very loud and obnoxious, usually the other one's quiet. Uh, you know, the, the opposites seem to draw each other together, and I think it is on purpose because God said that Adam needed a helpmate, somebody that matched him, and if, if he, she has all the same strengths as the man, then and all the same weaknesses, you don't have somebody that is there to be the match. Now, does that mean that you're sometimes frustrated by the one that you're matched with? Oh, yes, it's hard dealing with opposites all the time. But when you've chosen to love one another, those opposites you can work with. Uh, I handle the money at my house because it, my wife doesn't like it. It's too much stress for her. I thrive on that kind of stuff. It doesn't bother me. Uh, there's other places where she is stronger than I am when it comes to dealing with people. She is much stronger with uh, dealing with people than I am. And I've used that strength on, on occasions to bring her in to help talk with people. And she'll draw out the real problems and then I can help give the answers to what the real problems are rather than what I'm hearing. So we end up having the strength in, that, in the opposites. And you know, God just wants us to honor him honor him and it's sad because you look in the, the churches and the averages of the churches is that most people do not tithe and that is sad I think they're re uh, cheating themselves of a bonus by not tithing but you know then there's the offering above the tithe I really believe that God requires the tithe the offering is what I want to give him and so over the years, I've given my tithe, and then I give an offering above the tithe. But what if you don't have the money to give a tithe, the whole tithe? Then how much are you worth an hour? As we've, as we've, hour. do some hourly work. 
As we have discussed, that's between you and God. I believe the tithe belongs to God and that he will take his tithe one way or the other. I tithe, but yeah. what if you don't have the money? Yeah. Well, do things for the church, I think, weeding or, or doing something, yeah. investing I, or doing something. I also have talked about the fact that you owe God a tithe of your time. Right, tithe of time. So eat, eat out of 24 hours, you owe God two, 2.4 or two and a half hours. Two and a half. You know, so for a full week, you're looking at 16.8 hours of service to God somewhere. And that could be prayer, it could be studying, it could be serving Him. You know, because I don't think God is sitting there saying, I just want a tithe of your money. I want a tithe of your time, I want a tithe of your effort, I want, I want you right. to be part of who I am. And God is not an accountant. This way, you know, I believe that He's, he's going to take the tithe, but He is not an accountant saying, well, you missed it by a penny. <laughs> you know, uh, if you've ever been in the business world, uh, accountants are terrible. You know, they, they, all they ever see is numbers, and they don't care about anything else. And, and you know, they're a pain in the neck to deal with at times. And they're a, necess uh, a necessary evil in the business world, but, but they, all they care about is that little penny that's, that, you know, you, you didn't do this, you didn't do that. I would you know. 11 cents in Sprint. Cut our car. 11 cents. <laughs> We gave an even amount, you know, and there was 20 or 22 or whatever it was. But even my phone, and, and I paid the, her, she couldn't come up to 11 cents. She had over 11 cents. The counter, yeah. they won't, the computer is exact. If it's now, if it's not to yeah. the penny, you're, you're uh, short. But God, God is looking for honor, and I mean, you're in a good start, Amy. You're in a good start, Amy. I think God will eventually bring you up to a full tithe, but you're at a good start because you're making a willing start to that direction. Uh, and it's just something I grew up tithing, so it's not a big deal to me. Uh, very touchy when subject, very touchy yeah. subject, tithing. When, when, when th times get tight for me, God gets his money first uh, because that is just what I believe. And each person has got to go between God and them on that. If they just are going to say, God, you get a tithe of what I have, then that's what you get, and you're honest with it, and then God will bless that. Uh, I think it's more than that, but that's my opinion, and it's well, what the, the scriptures say. The baby coming in uh, this Sunday, and I've got it filled up. So that, you know, the baby bottle's going. Even i got other people helping you know, me. Is this the last week for that? Yeah, we bring okay. them in this week. I'm going to bring that in, and, and I didn't put a total. Whoever does the account can count it. But I'm gonna bring it. Uh, so that's an extra thing that we. Now we'll take it. We'll take them whenever they come in. But next yeah. week is when we are. The Lottie okay. Moon thing is extra money that right. we pay out. Uh, yeah. Different sacrifices we have to make for. To, and right. Those, those should be offerings. They shouldn't be people switching from their tithe money to those. So it's. Yeah. That's but, a special offering. That's not a tithe too. Well, it's an offering. It's an offering. Yeah. Do you know the difference between a tithe and an offering? No, a, really. a tithe is ten is literally ten percent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We and that is what God requires. So it's technically not an offering because it is what He requires. An offering is just anything I give to Him freely. And a lot of people tithe kind of falls under an offering for for most people. I make a big distinction of it because this is what God says I'm. I'm to give, and anything else I give to him is what I have chosen between to give. you and God. To give him, right. an offering between the Right. Now, that's a hard distinction because, if, as you just got done reading Leviticus, 
God says, you are giving these offerings, but he, also, he usually called them sacrifices. And when they, were, when they had the word offering to them, they were free will. You decided to do it or not to do it. The Passover was a sacrifice. Yom Kippur was a sacrifice. Uh, first fruits was more of an offering. Uh, the heave offering was an offering. And, and you, see this, you see a slight difference between even the way he uses it in the Old Testament. Sacrifice, required, kind of like the tithe. Offering, this is what I'm doing out of my free will, God. I just want to give back to you what little I can, I can and this is what I want to do, and it's what I want to do. And, uh, and no. I don't... So, so sacrifice was mainly in the Old Testament? The sacrifice is a requirement. This is something that God requires. And you see it in the Passover. You see it in Yom Kippur. You see it... In the tithe is technically a sacrifice. It is what God commands. And then you get into the offerings. This is what I want to do for God. I can't spell Yom Kippur. <laughs> Y-O-M-K-A-P-O-R? K-I-P-P-E-R. Kipper. K-I-P-P-E-R. K-I-P-P-E-R. Thank you. So, I'm... And... As, and in your case, Amy, we've already talked about it. What you do is what you do. It's between you and God and what God has said to do. And if somebody starts with their Christianity, they're going to start with whatever, I mean, they're just learning to give. I've been a Christian a long time, so for me, the tithe is not even optional. It is just, it goes. It doesn't matter. I give my tithe, and I make very little money right now, and I give my tithe because I want God to say, God, whatever you're going to give me, I'm going to give you back. And then I give my offering on top of that. And that all comes first, before I pay my, pay my bills. When Lynn got paid today, then the check will be written tonight for the tithe for this, for this Sunday. Before I spend all the money for everything else, that money comes out, and then I spend whatever I can, and then stop. Okay, God, here we are. Here's, here's the bills that you've got to pay because I'm out of money. You got yours, and here's, here's the money. Oh, I see. I'm doing it opposite. Most people do. Most people do. And it's between you and God. It's just God says he wants the first fruits, and I've taken him very literally on that. So well, I plan for that. So I... To be in my balance. Yeah. In my head, when I do the uh, counting of my bills, I, I believe, pray, that I'm going to have plenty of tithe money. And, mm -hmm. and it worked out this past few months. It's been working out and now. That's for, good. What, two years now? Yeah. I've been doing... Uh, getting better at it. Mm -hmm. I'm never perfect. But I'm getting better so, at uh, doing this. Really so I just look at it. God says it's his first fruit, so the tithe comes out, and then I pay my bills, and when I run out of money, the bills stop getting paid. Most people turn it the other way on its head. They pay their bills, and whatever's left, they give God as much of the tithe as he oh, can ha has left over. So it's saying, God, you're, you're falling behind everything else. And you mess it up on your savings. And, you know, you don't go to savings or whatever. So it's it's a way of thinking, and I'm not going to say that people who do it that I'd, I'd, as long as they're giving, I'm happy because they're at least doing something. I think they need to reverse. Personally, think they need to reverse it so they can God's first and then everything else is second. But that's between them and God. Um, so other churches where they pass the. Plate. Plate. Just put in whatever I had, 
and never, I've never tied because I've never really stuck with one church That's what, long enough you know, to long enough to feel like I would When they start that tie stuff, it's such a touchy subject. Like you said, well, God doesn't need it. You know, he's a spirit. He doesn't need the money. And then you see, we get a new sanctuary, or they need a new car, or whatever they need, which is great, but I, I don't want to, you know. But the key to the key to the tithe is right. God does not need the tithe, but we need to learn to place Him first. And right. and yeah. and and the Bible tells us that the workman is worthy of his hire. So I mean, when people really realize what it takes to run a church, it is funny because you put somebody on the finance committee, and all of a sudden it's like. Wow, we spent a lot of money to do. It's unbelievable. Do this. Yeah, I thought the pastor or a priest never got paid. I thought you guys donated. I mean, donating your yeah. donating and, your time and, and effort. The money when you throw, you know, the money donations, then you get a part of that, you know. And I, I didn't know they got a salary. I didn't know they got medical benefits, maybe, or, or a car or whatever. Yeah. You know, and the, that the churches pay electric and gas and yeah, water and just like a house. You know, you know yeah. it, it is amazing to me how many people think that a church that a church does not pay for the electric that they use. Exactly. Yeah. I thought the electric company donated that. A lot of people do. Yeah. A lot of people think that all this stuff is donated to the church by all these companies, and it's like, no, we pay just like, and matter of fact, churches pay at business rates, so they pay more than you do at home. So their, their, their cost for their phone is higher than you would pay for the same thing at your house. The, the water is usually charged. I don't know about here, but I'm sure that we're being paid. You're paying at a higher rate because we're a business. I know for sure the electric company charges higher for a board and the gas is higher. You know, everything tends to be higher because they classify you as a, as a business business. And they think you're raking in the money. <laughs> and then everybody thinks you're raking in. And even people think that, you know, well, you take, a, you take an offering every week. You must be making lots of money. Well, depends on the church and depends on that. And, but uh, well, I, uh, I'm not going to say who, but insulted our accountant here and said, "Are you skimming?" And he, I could just see the look on our accountant's face when he said that. Like, you know, why did you say that to me? You know, that's not, not nice thing to say. You don't tell the accountant of a church, "Are you skimming?" <laughs> like, uh, what do you call it? Uh, Judas was. Yeah. That was Judas was skimming. I just found that out. Yeah. But, but it is just one of those things that, you know, God is just wanting us to honor. And it's sometimes it's a sacrifice. Believe me, sometimes when I write the tithe check, it's not an easy thing sometimes to write out. It's when, I look, when I look just a couple other lines down on my ledger and there's another really big bill coming that's not covered, it's okay, God, it's your bill. There's and a program. I don't mean to interrupt about this thing to... To put it in a nutshell, I heard on the radio, I'm sure you've heard it, called Trinity. And I'm not sure, I haven't looked into it, but for people like my daughter-in-law and son, have a really high credit card debt, they consolidate all the creditors. Yeah, Trinity. I hear that on the radio you all heard, the time. You hear about that. And it may not be a good company, who knows. But I like the idea of calling the creditors and consolidating it with a lower interest rate. And right. where that you can pay something and get it handled instead of like my ex, or like my uh, son's wife, my daughter-in-law, five times she's been bankrupt. Yeah. Or it's going up five times this time if she does this time. Five times means that she needs to learn how to handle and her money and quit. She gets a quick check every month, about six, seven hundred dollars, and she thinks she can live on a, on a buy. You know, anyway, Trinity, you've heard that. Mm -hmm. 
So uh, doesn't it sound cool on the radio? Yeah. It sounds good. Doesn't mean that it is. Well, it, it that destroys your credit. But basically, basically how it works is they deal. You give them one one big check and they pay it out to the creditors. I yeah. see. And, and you I have to make sure you one. get a good one because otherwise they can cheat you too. Yes. You have to. That's uh, right. There's a lot of them that I did that once and paid. I think it was three fifty for. I don't know how many years it paid off my credit card debt. And, uh, but I went back into the hole again. But, uh, it's easy to do. And now you can call your creditors a lot of times and they'll work it directly with you. Sometimes. Yeah. Sometimes. Not all of them, but some of them. Sometimes. Yeah. Uh, and the problem with those programs is that you really have to deal with the root cause, which was yourself, you know, your spending. Well, uh, very few people got into trouble because of medical bills, though that does happen. But most people have gotten in trouble, and I did it when I was younger. I, I had $40,000 uh, credit line available to me between four different cards, and uh, I maxed them out and got into trouble. So it's yeah. My boss uh, bought a house with a credit card, and was paying for it with his other credit card. Yeah, and you start living that kind of lifestyle, you're going to get hurt. They sold the house made a profit, paid the credit cards off, and he was looking like, I could do that. And if I was to do that, I would be in debt of, I would, something, I, I wouldn't get what I wanted for the house. But, you know, the market, he knew what he was doing, you know, and. Uh, he got lucky. He got very lucky. Very fortunate. He, it was uh, Florida, you know, Fort Lauderdale, you know. Finances are an interesting area for most people because it is a tough area for us. It's one area that people don't like to give to God to begin with. It's one of those many areas where it's like, God, here's my finances. You just, you stay over there, God. And, you know, you, when I want you, I'll come over there. But these are my finances. Stay out of my finances, God. Uh, and most people get to that place. And God is saying, I want to be part of all of you. Number one, he tells us that all of our finances are his anyway. And he just lets us use some of his money for ourselves. And you get to secular people that say, pay yourself first. Down, pay oh yeah, that's first. that's part of the. But you pay God first, then you pay yourself. Yeah, you know what you're saying? Well, Dave Ramsey's teaches that he says you should live on eighty percent. He says give God ten percent, put ten percent in savings, and live on eighty percent. And it's a biblical way of doing things. Uh, and most people can't do it. I can tell you, I can't do it. You know, I'm, I'm still in debt, so yeah. I can't afford to do it. Yeah. Uh, I love the principle. I like the idea. If I'd have started that as a, when I was younger, I probably would be well off by now because I would have saved ten percent of every all the, and the Bible great says amounts. Don't uh, take loans. Yeah, you're not supposed to take loans according to the scriptures. Yeah. Uh, with, with your brother, usury. And no you usury. Loan each other. No usury interest. Oh, interest. Yeah. Oh, usury interest. Yeah. 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 The Israelites were not allowed to loan each other money at interest. Right. They could they could charge they could charge interest to to uh, non Israelites but they couldn't charge interest to them each other. That pisses off or made the or angry the, the, the non Jew <laughs> that was getting the interest. Verse nine: The way of the wicked is an abomination unto the Lord, but he loveth him that followeth after righteousness. And this is just our day to day walk. You know, an abomination. The wicked, the the way they walk. The way of the wicked, the, the evilness that they do is an abomination. But God loves those that follow after righteousness because it is him. Remember, we've talked about this. 
God's rules are based upon his character. And because it is based upon his character, if we're following after God's righteousness, we will be basically following after God and doing things his way or allowing him to work through us his way. And he's going to love that because it's himself. And anything else is an abomination. It, it just shows that it's not him. Verse 10, Correction is grievous unto him that forsakes the way, and he that hateth reproof shall die. Correction is grievous. That's a strong word. Grievous. And we probably all have seen people that when they're corrected, you see their, and believe me, I was in the restaurant industry as manager. I've many times corrected somebody and watched their eyes roll to the back of their head and, and that look of total disinterest, like, you know, how dare you correct me? Uh, you know, and this is out there. You know, it's grievous to those that forsake the way. Those who have chosen to do wrong are going to do wrong no matter what you say to them. And that is why it is important for us when we're parenting our kids to teach our kids while they are young how to walk and how to follow God because it is very hard to change older children and, and teenagers. Once they get into the older teen and teenager point, they are hard to correct. They are hard to change their ways. They're going to have to go through the hard process of learning the hard way, hitting rock bottom, and realizing that there has to be a better way. We train our kids when they're young. Then we watch them as they start developing godly habits as they get older. I, this is one of the things that scares me when I see parents that have these kids at three and four years old that are running roughshod over their parents. And I'm going, what is going to happen when this kid literally gets old enough to physically run roughshod over their parents? If you don't have control of a teenager by, before they're a teenager, you're not going to have control of that kid. It's just the way it is. I spanked my kids when they were little, and I don't remember ever having to spank any of my kids in their teen years. I corrected them. I taught them. We took things away from them every once in a while. But I never had to spank my kids when they were probably older than eight or nine years old because they had learned discipline at an early age. They knew that I, when I said something, there was consequences. And when they got older, I didn't have to fight the hard battles with them because they had already been able to be disciplined. They already knew how to listen. And I see people that are raised up with no discipline. And man, I go, you know, they're in for a lot of trouble in their life. They're going to have trouble with the law. They're going to have trouble with their the, uh, bosses that they work for. They're going to have trouble with spouses because they don't have never learned to relinquish and, and be, be quiet before somebody and to allow discipline into their life. And then it says, He that hateth reproof shall die. And we know they're going to die. They're going to die physically, uh, spiritually, but most of the time they also die in a very real sense in their day-to-day -day way they live. When you're living in a lifestyle that is sinful and, and headed toward you know, the wrong decisions, even if you don't have, you know, die physically, you're dying emotionally, you're dying, you're dying financially, you're doing all kinds of... You know, I can't even imagine how some of these people that do drugs can even handle it because of the amount the drugs cost. Uh, you know, I've heard people having habits of four and $5,000 a day, and I'm looking at that like, 
you're spending a quarter of a million a year on drugs? I don't know. How do you make that much? How do you get that kind of money to... Yeah, the yeah. theft, theft. Yeah, there's some. So. You go to the drug dealer and they come and kill you. Yeah, <laughs> most most of it is theft, theft, yeah. and, and all kinds of other well, things. You can then just put them into giving you things, and then they then they come to your house and do a drive by or whatever, or kill you, or threaten you, or you know, like but, it's like a drug gambling debt. You'll have Guido outside your door, you know, and you think, well, oh, I better get our money to. But, you know, it is sad, the things that people will do when they walk down the wrong lifestyle, it, it leads to a death. And emotionally and physically. Emotionally, physically, Spiritual. uh, spiritually, Spiritual. uh, and, you know, ultimately, physically, uh, spiritually is the, the long, long, long side of the death. But we've all been, seen people who just, you, they look dead. Uh, it's... And that's that's a hard thing. Right? They're carrying the weight of the world upon their shoulders, and they and they appear dead. They appear beat up by the world, and it's really a sad thing when you see it. And you know there's so much better out there for them, and yet many times they don't even want to listen. And our job as Christians is just to tell them that God is available. God wants to give them life. God wants to love them. And most people are looking for that love. They're looking for love, and that's why they're walking down the wrong passages. You know, like the old song, looking for love in all the wrong places. <laughs> and they're not, not turning to God for it. Well, let's close in prayer. Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the, your word. We, we ask you to go with us. Help us to guard our tongues. Help us to, to speak what you would have us to speak and live the way you would want us to live. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.